Shalom Aleichem, Erev Tov. Chanukah is behind us, but the life of Rabbi Eliezer is not. And we're going to continue tonight in the writings of Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkanus. <clears throat> the last thing that we focused on was the nidui, the excommunication that was placed on Rabbi Eliezer. And we're going to walk through today the last years of his life the last few experiences that are known to us in the Talmud before he died and likely even those after he died. We'll see in just a few moments how far we get. It could be again that for tonight we won't get to Shulchan Aruch because I wish to focus on this and finish it once and for all. And we'll see how the evening progresses. I want to start with you on page 96 of your encyclopedia. If you see that big paragraph at the top of 96, do you want to be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8? Eight lines from the end of that paragraph. The Talmud Yerushalmi tells us, Pamachat once, Ava Rabbi Eliezer Bashuk. Rabbi Eliezer was walking through the marketplace. You have here a story that follows, if you remember last week, the death of Rabban Gamliel because of the prayer of Rabbi Eliezer. Ima Shalom, the sister of Rabban Gamliel, the wife of Rabbi Eliezer, trying to get him not to do nifilat apayim on his face. Rabbi Eliezer is walking down the street. And there was a lady who was gathering all the trash in her house. Likely she was sweeping, something like that. I don't know what to imagine. If you imagine in Israel, when you walk in, people do sponja. You know what a sponja? In Israel, they've already outlawed the use of paper goods and plastic goods. But they haven't outlawed the washing of your floor with excessive amounts of water. Essentially, you walk around with buckets of water and you throw it on the floor with some soap. And you use a squeegee and you sprayed off the side of your balcony into the street and whoever is standing underneath you. And if you're walking down the street and you're wearing a nice brand new suit and all of a sudden your black suit turns into a white suit or a pink suit because of the bleach that fell on your head. So that's the cost of walking down the street when someone is doing sponja. They said there once was a frantic call to 911. Uh, the dispatch that was going on. A man says, uh, help, I've been shot. He said, who shot you? He said, my wife. He said, why? He said, I walked into the kitchen when she was mopping. She told me, don't come into the kitchen when I'm mopping. And I did, so she shot me. I need help. And so uh, they immediately send the police, ambulance. After 10 minutes, the dispatcher calls to check in. What's going on? Did you guys find the guy? Is he okay? He says, no, we're still waiting by the front door. He said, why? That she'll shoot us if we come into the kitchen also. <laughs> so this lady was gathering all of the trash in her home. And she threw it outside. And all the trash landed on the head of Rabbi Eliezer. You know, he lived right off of Rehov Yafo. If you're familiar with this house, you probably hung around that neighborhood a little bit in your life. Rav Kook had many opponents. And there was one neighbor of his that every day when Rav Kook would come out of his house, the kids would collect all the trash the parents had taught them to do this and throw them on him on his way out of the house. Every day they would throw the trash on him. Amar Bilibo, who's now covered head to toe in someone else's trash, he says to himself, Domani, maybe this is a sign. I feel like this is a sign. Shayom Maybe today my friends are going to welcome me back to the Sanhedrin. Maybe my friends will bring me close. They've isolated me for so long. Maybe today is the day. Because it says, We just said this in Tehillim. That from the dumps, from the trash, HaKadosh Baruch Hu can pick someone out and make them into a hero, into a wealthy person, into a successful person. It says, now the trash fell on me. Maybe now HaKadosh Baruch Hu will lift me out and bring me back to my friends. Says the author of the encyclopedia, But his hope, did not come true. And his colleagues did not welcome him back even until the day he died. So here you have a scene. 
the Talmud Yerushalmi is depicting it. We're on page 96 of the PDF. Rabbi Eliezer is covered in someone else's trash. Says, Maybe today is the day that my friends will bring me back. They'll let me back in. And what happens? That's not the case. That's not the case. And he dies excommunicated from his friends. Ma'amaro be'avot. His teaching in Avot romez le'moraot chayav b'yichasav al-chaverav. It would be hard to ignore that his teaching in Pirkei Avot really resembles or is, is not tainted, but permeated with his life experiences. And it's based on his bitter experiences with his friends. What does Rabbi Eliezer write in Pirkei Avot? I'll read to you his Mishnah. It's in the second chapter of Pirkei Avot. Rabbi Eliezer says, Remember that every Tanah is given a chance, one chance. What words do you want to leave? Which words do you want to leave as a legacy to the next generation? The words that Hillel chose, those are clearly Hillel's words. That's something that he's willing to live by for the rest of his life, wants everyone in the world to know. Listen to the words of Rabbi Eliezer, and now understand them perhaps for the first time in your life, not in the context of Pagavot, but in the context of this most brilliant rabbi in his generation, who is excommunicated by his friends, he's thrown out of the Sanhedrin. And he's given a chance. What do you want to write in the yearbook? And this is what he tells us. May the dignity of your colleague, of your friend, be as dear to you as your own. And don't be so quick to anger. And do Teshuvah one day before you die. And heat yourself up in the fire that is the Chachamim. And be very careful from the burn of the Chachamim so that you won't get burned. And be careful from the coals of the Chachamim so you don't get burned. Because the bite of the Chachamim, when they choose to bite you, is like the bite of a Shu'al. A Shu'al is a fox. And their sting is Akitzat Akrav, is the sting of a scorpion. And like a snake, they're Akitzat And all of their words are like the coals of a fire. How does Rabbi Yezal know that the sting of a Chachamim is like a fire, like a scorpion, like a snake? It happened to him. It happened to him, right? That's, he's telling you his life. In the opening sentence, Try to respect your friends the way you would want to be respected. He clearly is feeling hurt here. He's telling you also, Don't be so quick to anger. We know that Rabbi Yezal is a person, I wouldn't call him angry, but a personality that was sharp. Maybe he's regretting here. day before you die. Who knows when he wrote this? But he's telling you, if you read this Mishnah in the lens of the Rabbi Eliezer that we have gotten to know, it's a very tragic teaching. True, but tragic. When Rabbi Eliezer got sick, His students and his colleagues decided now, because he was about to die, now is a good time to finally go visit him. So his friends that didn't contact him, the students that didn't learn from him, now they decided we heard Rabbi Eliezer is sick, maybe now it's time to go and say our goodbyes to him. Sometimes I'm not sure what's worse. They're not talking or the subtly showing up when it's important. Now there are people, this happened in my personal life, people that only did you bad. And it's okay that they never talk to you again. It's actually better that way, because it's very difficult to communicate with them. But then all of a sudden, things go wrong, they want to be near you, you don't want their company. You don't want them there. I think everyone in their life has experienced this. No kumbaya, that's right. I've seen this, unfortunately, I've done one too many shiva, houses in my life 
And so many times, siblings, cousins, uncles, they didn't want to talk their whole life. And they're forced now into the same place at the same time, and they still don't want to talk to each other. Sometimes I find it to be, it's not even, a, it's very cruel almost that certain people show up now. Where were you when? Where have you been for the last X, Y, Z? All the time. This is almost what Rabbi Eliezer's brothers were warning their father about in the beginning. This uh, Eliezer of yours is going to go work. He's a rabbi in Jerusalem. We're going to work hard. And he's going to show up only for the inheritance. And some interesting way, his students are coming here at the end of his life. I want you to open up with me, Sepharia. To Masechet Sanhedrin 101. So you want to click on Talmud. Now I think Safari just put out an announcement that they've uploaded the Yerushalmi with uh, English translations. This would be a big deal for those who wish to learn the Jerusalem Talmud. So what did I tell you? San, uh, I told you Sanhedrin. 101a. So you want to go down. You click on Talmud. You want to go down until you find Sanhedrin in Sedan Zikin. And then when you see Sanhedrin... Go up to one oh one. I'll tell you which subsection right now. It's subsection eleven. Intestinal problem. Zev, what do you know about that? <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, there seems to be nothing new under the sun, right? That's a halachic uh, conversation there. Amar Abba Rabban Barchana says, Amar Rabban Bar Barchana, Kishchalam, Rabbi Yezer. When Rabbi Yezer became sick, Nichnesu Talmidav Levakero, his students came to visit him. Imagine the scene. I can't tell you how many years have passed. For when his students last came to visit him, since they agreed to excommunicate him from the Sanhedrin, this is now they're gathering in his home because they've heard that he's sick. Amar lehim. He told them, Chema yesh ba'olam. There's tremendous wrath in the world of HaKadosh Baruch meaning he's sick because HaKadosh Baruch is angry with the world. They began to cry. And Rabbi Akiva is laughing. Do you remember another place where Rabbi Akiva was laughing? Very good. And he also said he was always doing the opposite. Like everyone was telling him he was so good, and then he said he was so bad. That's right, very good. Zev, so what's the, the, the Gemara there? The Ben Mikdash is destroyed. Chachmei Israel go for a walk on the ruins of the Bet Mikdash, which tells you that after the Bet Mikdash is destroyed, you are still able to walk in the Temple Mount. So anytime someone tells you it's forbidden to enter the Temple Mount until Mashiach comes, they're clearly not telling you the truth. I agree that there are places that maybe you should avoid, unless you know, but but there are areas where certainly you can walk in Halabait, not for today's text. If they know exactly or not, it's a good question. But Rabbi, Chief Rabbi Shlomo Golan made a map of where certainly you can walk on the Temple Mount. So, meaning, even if you wanted to worry about every place that might be holy, there are places where you can definitely walk on the Temple Mount. They're walking on the Temple Mount. And they see a fox in the Holy of Holies. The Chachamim begin to cry. They begin to cry because this is the fulfillment of a prophecy that the foxes will enter the places that even the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippurim would only exit he was completely holy and pure and so what happens? Rabbi Akiva begins to laugh 
And I said, Akiva, why are you laughing? And what do they, what does he tell them? This prophecy was materialized. The other prophecy was Very good. I never knew, I mean, once I know that the prophecy of the destruction has been fulfilled, now I can believe the other half of the prophecy will take place. The prophecy of the redemption. I didn't know. I mean, it's a, it, the first half happened, the second half must happen also. It's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. And we'll, we'll still... Generation 2 is going to be Rabbi Akiva, so we're going to get to his life. We still have time. Everybody's crying, and Rabbi Akiva is laughing. Why are you laughing, Rabbi Akiva? Now you should know my very... I'm reading again, like I told you, from En Yaakov. You have the Babylonian Talmud in front of you. The words might be slightly different. He tells them, Why are you crying? They said, Could it be that a Torah scroll is suffering and we won't cry? Have you ever seen pictures of Sifrei Torah destroyed by anti-Semites? In the Holocaust or even in New York or wherever it happens, they spray the stuff on the floor and it's burnt or there's water on it. It breaks your heart. So can we see a Sefer Torah, Rabbi Eliezer, hurting, and we won't cry? He says, It's for that reason that I'm laughing. Every time that I see that my rabbi, his wine does not sour. And his pishtan, his flax, doesn't become blemished, ruined. And his oil doesn't turn rancid. And his honey is not... Uh, there's a, I guess spoiling is also a word. By the way, these are all signs of success. Meaning all the things in his life are going well for him. I was concerned my whole life when I saw how happy Rabbi Eliezer was, how much reward he was receiving in this world. I was afraid that he already received all of his merit in this world. But now... That I see Rabbi Betzar, I see that my rabbi is suffering. Sameach, I'm happy. Because now I know that he still has Olam Habad to look forward for. Amarlo, Akiva, Klum Chisarti Minatora Kula. Rabbi Yezer turns to his student Rabbi Akiva, the same student that told him the news that he's going to have to leave the Sanhedrin. He says, Rabbi Yezer, is there anything in the Torah that I've failed to fulfill? Amarlo, Rabbi Akiva answers him, Limadetanu Rabenu, you already taught us, my rabbi. What it says in Kohelet, Ki Adam en tzadik ba'aretz asher yaaseh tov v'lo yicheta. For there is no righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. It's a fascinating back and forth here. Rabbi Akiva essentially is saying, Have you done something wrong? There's nobody who doesn't do something wrong. Rabbi Eliezer seems to accept this from him. It's a very unique conversation to have, but it's not over yet. Because at this point, it's not just the students that come to visit. Tanur Abanan, our rabbis taught us. Kshechala Rabbi Eliezer, when Rabbi Eliezer fell ill, Nichnesu arba'a zekenim levakero. Four elders came to visit him. I'm now in subsection 13. Who came? Rabbi Tarfon, the Rabbi Hoshua. Who's Rabbi Hoshua? He's the one that started the war. Meaning, though, I don't know who started it, but he's the one who essentially, it's his war with him that gets Rabbi Yezer thrown out. But they were best friends before that, if you remember. They're the ones who are sitting at the Brit of Acher, Elisha Baravuya, and the house is lighting on fire because they're studying Torah. They're now coming full circle. Rabbi Hoshua is coming back to visit his friend. Rabbi Tarfon begins to speak. He wants to encourage Rabbi Eliezer. He wants to say something nice to him. So what does he say? You are greater for the Jewish people than a drop of rain. Did we read this together once? No. Because raindrop 
help in this world. But you are rabbi You are in this world and the next world. Rabbi Yoshua begins to speak and he says, Tov Israel You are greater to the Jewish people than the sun itself. Because the sun is in this world. And you are rabbi, you will provide us benefit in this world and in the next world. Yeah, I think I will learn this video. We'll keep going. Nana Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah ve'amar. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah also has his part to say. Tov atal Yisrael yotel mi avahem. You are better to the Jewish people than a father and a mother. She'avahem ba'olam hazeh. Because a father and a mother are here for you in this world. Ve'ribi ba'olam hazeh ula'olam haba. You are rabbi, are here in this world and the next world. Nana Rabbi Akiva ve'amar. Rabbi Akiva answers and he says, Chavivin Yisurin. What is Chavivin Yisurin? Suffering is good for you. You should cherish your suffering. So again, Rabbi Akiva comes to put a damper on the party. He's always doing something that's provoking some type of response from everybody else around them. Now the first three rabbis, you have to, in an agadic lens, think, What's so special about a son, about a rain, about a father and a mother? Why these three things to compare Rabbi Eliezer to? But that's not for right now. Now Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, I come to tell you that suffering is good. What does Rabbi Eliezer react to this? Amar lahem, Rabbi Eliezer tells them, Samechuni, help me, help me get up. So that I may hear the words of Rabbi Akiva, my student. Who says how wonderful Yisurin our suffering is. He tells him, Akiva, where do you know that suffering is good for you? Akiva begins to go through a whole teaching about Menashe, the king of Israel. Let me see if there's anything else that we need to read in the story. Right now it's not relevant, the rest of the sugya. So you have here Rabbi Akiva, who's, as usual, being a contrarian for us. And he's trying to give Rabbi Eliezer meaning to his suffering. Not just flattering, but trying to find meaning in the suffering. It's a tragic story. The rabbis are gathered together in the last days of Rabbi Eliezer. But really what we want to know is how does Rabbi Eliezer react to them? What are his words to them? We know what they've told him. But now he has to settle scores. He has things he needs to say. What is he going to say? Let's look at those words together. Let's look together. We're still in Sanhedrin. Let's go back a little bit in Sanhedrin. Keep your safari open. Let's go back a little bit in Sanhedrin. I want to take you to 68a. And I'm in subsection 2. We can start on one. It's okay if we start on one. Uh, 
son after his father. There's a debate who Rabbi Akiva learned Torah from. It's right in the middle of paragraph one. Vatana, we learned Keshachala Rabbi Liezer. That when Rabbi Liezer became sick, Nichnesu Rabbi Akiva v'chaverav levakero. That the students came, Rabbi Akiva and the students came to visit him. Who Yoshev b'kinuf shelo, b'kinof shelo. He is sitting in his kinof. V'hem Yoshevim b'trakelin shelo. And they're sitting in his trakelin. What is a kinof? Kinof, Rashi tells us, it's four bedposts that you put a covering on top. A canopy. He's sitting there. And they're sitting in his trakelin. Trakelin is clearly not a Hebrew word. But uh, let's imagine today would use that to mean his living room, his waiting room, his uh, the area around, around him. That day, Erev Shabbat It was Erev Shabbat. It was Friday. I always wonder who visits people on Friday. Especially this close to Shabbat. It's like the whole house is on fire. Everyone's running around to get things done and now you have visitors. Okay, it's an interesting time to choose to visit Rabbi Eliezer. I'm saying on my own, my own, I didn't see this anywhere. That tzaddikim, there's something special about dying on Shabbat. It could be that they were concerned that if they wait until Shabbat would pass, that he wouldn't be there anymore. That day was a Friday. And Horkunus, his son, came to take off his tefillin. What's the story here with tefillin? What time? Let's say Shabbat starts at what time? Tell me the time. 4.23. So what time is it here now in the story? Yeah, 4 o'clock, 4.15. His son comes inside to take off his... Why are you wearing tefillin at 4 o'clock in the afternoon? According to Halakha, you have to wear tefillin the whole day. So he's wearing tefillin the whole day. Are you allowed to wear tefillin on Shabbat? Ultimately, we rule that we don't wear tefillin on Shabbat. Yes? What's the prohibition of wearing tefillin on Shabbat? Is it a biblical prohibition or a rabbinic prohibition? It must be rabbinic. Anyone know what category of rabbinic law this falls under? Why you can't wear tefillin on Shabbat? Let's, let's see. We're going to actually do this together. Let's all agree. So Hukunus, who comes to help his father. His father's sick. He's not well. He's come to help him take off his tefillin. Garbo. He rebuked his son, bin Zifa, and his son left feeling down, feeling uh, rebuked, feeling like his father uh, degraded him. Amar lehem He tells his friends, he's friends with the students of his father. it seems to me, that my father has gone insane. Meaning he's lost it completely. From the way he spoke to me, that's not the Rebbe as I know. Amar lehu, he tells him, Dato vedat imonitrefa. Him and his mother have gone insane. This is only in a Middle Eastern society could you have such a story happening here. They say there was once a guy who for years didn't want to get hearing aids. Finally, his wife saved up enough money to get him hearing aids. She took him to the doctor. He got his hearing aids. He came home. And uh, about two weeks into this story, his wife says, No, how come you never told any of the kids or the grandkids that you got hearing aids? He said, Me? I haven't told them a word. They still think I'm deaf. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here on the couch and I've amended my will ten times already. So, <laughs> but you think I'm crazy, but I hear you, says Rebidia. Not just that I'm not crazy, but you're crazy and your mother's crazy. His mother sent him to go help father. Says, You're, how do you guys avoid taking care of prohibitions that are guilt, punishable by stoning? Real Shabbat prohibitions. And you are busy getting involved in Shavuot. Shavuot is a very low-grade rabbinic prohibition of wearing tefillin on Shabbat. That's such a big deal. 
You've got bigger things you have to worry about in the house. Why are you coming to care about my tefillin? Rabbi Eliezer is rebuking somebody for being particular about an area of halakha that, that is important, but not that important. If Rabbi Eliezer was alive with us today, I can only imagine the rebuke he would give the Jewish community for being concerned with details, but the whole picture forgetting. Kevan shera'u chachamim shedatom yushevet alav because the Chachamim saw that he's now back to himself. Huh. They came and they sat around him, but were very careful to maintain the four amot distance because he was still ostracized. He was still in Cherem. They were not allowed near him. I feel like in today's world of COVID, we all know what it's like to try to have a conversation with somebody when they're sitting very far away from you. They call it social distancing. That's exactly right. That's exactly what Chachamim are trying to accomplish. It's not comfortable for you to communicate with somebody who's physically far from you. It's very difficult. Amalahim. He tells them, Lama batem. Why have you come? This sounds more like a conversation that you would have with somebody who shows up today. Amrulo, they said, Lilmod Torah, manu, we came to study Torah. Amar lehem, he tells them, Ve'ad achshav, lama lo batem? You wanted to study Torah? Why haven't you come until today? Meaning, I've been here. Nothing's happening now. What made you show up today? Amrulo, they told him, Lohayalanu penai. We didn't have time. We didn't have time to come here and study Torah from you. Is that the truth? I don't have an answer for you. But why Chachamim are lying? But I, it's not, I'm not here in the realm of Agadah today. There are people who tell you, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that. People have time for things that are important to them. And he's calling them out on this. You don't have time? Huh? Amar lehem. He tells them, Temani, I will be very surprised if these people die natural deaths. That's what Bileza tells his guests. I will be very surprised if these people, I'm not talking to anybody in this room or on Zoom, these people, if they will die a natural death. That's a form of rebuke. Amalo Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva tells him, Shalimahu, Rabbi, how am I going to die? He said, Rabbi Akiva, someone must write once about the personality of Rabbi Akiva. He's not faced. Now he wants to know, okay, Rabbi Akiva, if none of us are going to die normal deaths, at least tell me how I'm going to die. Amarlo, he tells him, Shalakha, not yours. His, Rabbi Akiva, Kashemi Shalahan will be even more painful, more difficult than theirs. Rashi writes here something very sad. Rashi says, That your heart is so wide open. And if you would have only stayed here and learned from me, you would have been able to study a tremendous amount of Torah. Here Rabbi Eliezer is looking to Biyakiva and says, You could have been my student. You could have taken from me all the needed taking. Natal He took both of his arms. He put them over his heart. Amar and he says, I think this scene here is more difficult for me than the day that he was thrown out of the Sanhedrin. Amar, he says, Oy lachem, woe to you, my two arms. Shehen niglalin. That you were like two Sifrei Torah that are rolled up, meaning no one can access the Torah that is in you. I have studied much Torah. And I have taught much Torah. I have learned much Torah. And I didn't take away from my rabbis even the amount that a dog licks when he licks up. Here he says the sea, but dogs don't lick the sea, correct? 
Uh, we see, perhaps it means the Kinneret, the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, a lake. When dogs lick at a lake, how much water is, when the, you go to Miramar Lake, someone takes their dog, how much water is missing from Miramar Reservoir once someone licks from it? Insignificant, Insignificant amount. Nothing. Says Rabbi that's how much Torah I took away from my rabbis. It's, it's like a dog licks from the sea. And I taught much Torah. And I taught much Torah to my students. But my students have only taken from me. This is something you have to think about. Ladies, you might be more familiar than men with this. In the tube of lipstick, a nice lipstick tube. Once the lipstick is done, there's some leftover lipstick in the tube. Yes? That's how much. The leftover lipstick is how much Torah of mine, my students took from me. Not only that. But I, I teach 300 halachot with regard to the baheret. What is a baheret? Very good. It's one of the signs of tzara'at. I can teach 300 halachot about that. And no time in my life did anybody ever ask me one question in that realm of halakha. I feel like it's sometimes too, by the way. Not in Kirat Shalashamayim, but sometimes I go other places. People always want to know about is cheese, kasher, what about milk, halav, I study Shukhan Aruch, Yisur well, Baruch Hashem. But, right, but how... From all the other things I studied, almost nobody wants to know anything else about what we studied. There's what to give that nobody wants to take. That's right. I'm not blaming the people, but he, he's speaking of a tragic world. He has what to give. He kn- 300 halachot and one little thing. He says, nobody's ever asked me these questions. And furthermore, I can teach 300 halachot. Some say, 3,000 halachot. I'm just going to run with, with the standard understanding of this in terms of Rashi. In the source, laws of sorcery that have to do with planting cucumbers or squash, I have no idea what this is. Don't worry. I, but he's talking about there's some type of halachot regarding sorcery of kishuin, of particular to the detail of growing squash through sorcery. And no one ever asked me a question about that field. Aside from Akiva, the son of Yosef. And we're going to see here, one time, I and Rabbi Akiva, we walked along the road. Amardi, he tells me, Rabbi, my rabbi, teach me about the halachot of the sorcery that has to do with squash or cucumbers. Amardi, I told him one thing. And the whole field was full of these squash. You taught me how to plant them, now teach me how to unplant them. By the way, if you want to run for it, there are fascinating conversations here. How in the world can Rabbi Deezer engage with sorcery? Isn't sorcery prohibited to engage with? Not for today's class. They said something and they all gathered themselves to one spot. They told him, now, the students who are gathered around here in the scene are about to ask him a question. And here's the question. What are the laws regarding the purity or impurity of the following objects? A ball made of leather stuffed with clothing. A last. What is a last? It's what you make shoes on. It's the shape of the thing you make shoes on. 
an amulet, a kamea, wrapped in leather, a pouch for pearls, a small weight, all these things are wrapped in leather. It's very interesting. At the end of his life, they're coming to ask him a question about the laws of impurity. That's exactly what they threw him out of the Sanhedrin for. It was those halachot, remember the same day, everything that he declared pure, they came and burned it. And now, at his last time in his life, they're asking him questions about purity and impurity. Amalahim, what does he tell them? Hutaho, they're pure. And he died as he said the word pure. Rabbi Yoshua stood up on his two feet from the floor and he said, The vow has been permitted, the vow has been permitted. And the cherem that was placed on him is no longer. He died and he's no longer in cherem. Which, as I told you earlier, leads some commentaries to understand that perhaps this wasn't a real excommunication. Because a real excommunication, they would not be allowed to be even having this conversation with him. It's something more of a neder. What exactly is the nature of this neder? I can't tell you. I didn't do research well enough to come out and explain to you the difference between a neder and a cherem in this regard. But at this moment, even the rabbis who had declared Rabbi Eliezer persona non grata in the Sanhedrin, they are now witnessing that the last teaching he ever taught on earth was about the same things he left the Sanhedrin over. And the last word that he said before he died, Tahara, purity. And to them that was a sign. Chachamim viewed that as a sign of the pure-heartedness of Rabbi Eliezer. There's one person who wasn't there when his rabbi died. The Gemara says, the Motzei Shabbat, the Motzei Shabbat, Paga'abu Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva had left for Shabbat. And he comes back and he notices the funeral procession of his rabbi. Ben Kesari the Lod, that was going between Kesari and Lod. He began hitting himself in the head until his blood was spurting on the ground. Rabbi Akiva began speaking in the shura. What is the shura? So lo alenu, after we bury a person, there's a way in which the avilim stand. And we pass by them, they pass by us. There's different customs I've noticed, but in the Gemara, there's only one way of how this works. Rabbi Akiva, when he's standing in that line of mourners, he begins to eulogize. Rabbi Eliezer, with the following words. He quotes the verse in Melachim. Avi, Avi, my father, my father. Rechev Yisrael ufarashav. The chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Harbe ma'ot yeshli. I have many coins. Ve'enli shulchani laharzutan. But I have no money changer to give these coins to. I have many questions. So many things. Rashi says. Harbe she'elot yeshli. I have so many questions to ask. But I have nobody left in the world with whom I, to whom I can ask my questions. This is the death of Rabbi Eliezer. He dies, surrounded by his students, perhaps some friends, not by Rabbi Akiva, who only sees him afterwards. And Rabbi Akiva says the words that I think all of us could feel in regard to Rabbi Eliezer. We have so many questions. There are so many things we wish that Rabbi Eliezer could have taught us. But we'll never know them. We'll never know them because he wasn't given the chance to teach them to us. He maybe, you could say, ruined it for himself. However you wish to understand the story. But we are left with a void in the Bidah Midrash. A void that only Rabbi Eliezer could fill. And so long as he lived, there were still those people like last week Rabbi Yosei was able to go and ask him a random question here and there. But with the death, with the passing of Rabbi Eliezer, this becomes final. There is no one to ask. We have no one to ask questions to. And Rabbi Akiva, the, the height of his mourning, is not losing a physical body, but it's realizing we've all lost an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn from a person who's no longer with us. That message should sink in for us. When all Chachamim passed, I mentioned to you last week, 
But there are halachot about Jewish people ripping our clothing all the time. For every chacham that passes. Every chacham that leaves this world, there are things... Today somebody called me from the East Coast. Something that a question that the writings of Chamov de Yosef. I said, there's one question. Many questions. But there's a question I had. I wanted to ask Chamov de Yosef, but I didn't. I saw him. And I figured the next time I would see him, I would ask him a question. And I never did, because I never saw him again. And I wonder, every day, when I think about that sugya, if he would have been able to explain this to me, in the way that I needed his explanation. I have an explanation. But I wanted his explanation. And we all live in regret of something. And it's not true that it's not good to live in regret. Regret is deeply connected with appreciation. To appreciate those that we have by contrasting those that we lost. And to, to be aware that every generation we have chachamim like Abiliazah that we willfully choose not to learn from. And every generation, in that generation that it might have been the law, they were not allowed to learn from him. Fine. But in our generation, there are some chachamim that I feel the world loses an opportunity from learning from them. But what can we do? There's not much that can be done. I think the last image that I wish to leave you with tonight seems to happen, in my opinion, after the passing of Ubiliyazah. You actually have a version of it in your book, in the encyclopedia. Let's read it together. Page 97 in the encyclopedia. And the, bo- uh, in the bottom of 97. Yeah. Acharei moto. At the end of his life, Rabbi Eliezer became holy and loved in the eyes of the people sevenfold for what he was in his lifetime. This happens, unfortunately, to many chachamim. And the Agadah has many wondrous stories about Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Yoshua, his colleague, Rabbi Akiva, his student, he spiduhu hesped gadol, they eulogized him in tremendous ways. And he merited honor in his lifetime that he never merited in his death. He merited honor in his death that he never merited in his lifetime. There's a scene, I'll read you the original, there's a a bridge version right in front of you, right there. This is found in Shir Hashirim Rabbah, in the first chapter. The Bet Midrash of Rabbi Eliezer was made like a shape of an amphitheater. And there was one stone in the middle that he used to sit on and teach the students around. And that's where he used to sit and teach. It once happened. Rabbi Yoshua entered into the now empty Bet Midrash of Rabbi Eliezer. And he kisses that stone. And he says, This stone, is similar to Har Sinai. And that who sat on the stone, he is similar to the Ark of the Covenant. After the death of his colleague, who he threw out of the Sanhedrin, goes to kiss the chair, that's all that's left of him, is that rock. This rock was like Hal Sinai. And the man who sat on it was like the Aon. It's a tragic ending. It's a tragic ending. In the bottom of 97 in our encyclopedia, When Moshe Rabbeinu went up to heaven, there's a Midrash that tells us, He heard the voice of a Kadosh Baruch Hu. That a Kadosh Baruch Hu was sitting and he was reviewing the halachot of the red heifer, the Parah Aduma. 
ואומר הלכה בשם אומרה, אין הקדוש ברוך הוא, no, obviously this is an agadah, so you do this information, Moshe goes up to heaven, he hears HaKadosh Baruch Hu learning, this is obviously not literal. And he hears HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Rabbi Eliezer says, Egla bat shanata, para bat shataim. He's talking about the age of the cow that has to be, uh, in order to be a red heifer, a year old, two years old. You can, if you want to see the details, look in Mishnah. Para, the first chapter, it's all about this. Amar Moshe l'Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Moshe Rabbeinu tells HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ribbono Shel Olam, Master of the Universe, Elyonim v'tachtonim b'rshutcha. You are, the whole world is in front of you. The higher angels, the lower ones, the world, the, everything, all the realms are open, available to you. V'atay yoshev v'omer halacha mishmo shel basar v'adam. And you are sitting and you are quoting a halacha from a human being. Now we find many times in Agadah, this competition almost, between angels and human beings. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up and they want to keep the Torah of the angels. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, do you have parents that you need to respect? Do you have, remember he, he, uh, he argues with them and he gets the Torah for us. So here the angels again are making commotion. Why are you learning Torah from a human being? You need him. Amar Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, Tzadik Echad Atid La'amod Ba'olami. There will be a Tzadik in the future in my world. Ve'atid Hu Liftoach Be'parashat Paraduma Tchila. And he will be the one to teach about Paraduma first. Ribidiezer Omer, Egla Bat Shnata, Para Bat Shetayim. And this is the Mishnah that he will say in the future. Amar lo, he tells him, Moshe Rabbeinu, Ribbono Shola, Master of the World, Yiratzon Shietzeh Mechalatzayim. Please, allow this man to come from me. He should be one of my descendants. Amar lo HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Chayecha, I swear to you, your life, Shuhu Michalatzecha, that he will be your descendant. Hadahu Dikhtiv, and that's what it means in the Torah when it says, V'shem Hechat Eliezer. The one of the sons of Moshe Rabbeinu is Eliezer. That was it, really his son? It's a different Eliezer, but he's... The Midrash is... Eliezer. This is Eliezer. By the way, there's one other person. There's one other person that Moshe Rabbeinu hears his name being quoted in heaven. Who else? Do you remember? Rabbi Akiva. Moshe, again, why are you learning from Rabbi Akiva? What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu tell him about Rabbi Akiva? There will be a person in the future, Chacham, who will be able to learn from every crown on top of the letters Halachot. And that's interesting, the two people whose Torah HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, is occupied with is that of the teacher and the student who were estranged and reconnected at the end of their life. I'm telling you that there's much to be learned here that we are only scraping the surface of right now. After the death of Rabbi Eliezer, four of the elders sat down to begin rebuting, rebuttal? Rebutting? How do you there's a word here? To begin disproving his words. Rabbi Yoshua tells them, we don't re- pose a rebuttal to a lion after he dies. The lion is dead. There's no need to keep picking on him after he dies. When Rabbi Yezer died, the Sefer Torah was buried. That's what the Bavli said. In Yerushalmi it says, The Book of Wisdom died with him. Listen, at the end of his life, Rabbi Eliezer gets the kavod that he didn't get in his lifetime. Is it tragic? Absolutely. In the last few weeks, have we understood perhaps a little deeper why the Sanhedrin had to make the choices they made? Absolutely. But choices, even when they're for the best of the people, ultimately come in great sacrifice. We're always, we always are taught in some fantastical world that the hard choices that we make, one day would all be worth it. And I'm not sure. Will it be worth it? Yes, in the sense that we make the right choice, of course. But it's not easy to make the right choice. We give up a lot. Sometimes we lose people, important people, valuable people. I saw, somebody sent me, it was recently Memorial Day. I have my thoughts on American Memorial Day. I have a student who fought in the Vietnam War. 
And I saw, they shared with me. I will pull up for you. Give me one moment. A lighter from Vietnam. His lighter, cigarette lighter. It says Nam, 71 to 72. We, the unwilling, led by the unqualified, to kill the unfortunate, die for the ungrateful. And I'm seeing this on Memorial Day. It's a knife in your heart. We lose tremendous people and things along the way. And you could argue things are for the good, things are for the bad, it's what's supposed to happen. It doesn't take away from the gravity of what we lost. Once, the son of Arav Kuk, Arav Shalom. One of the students came. We lost a number of students in the yeshiva in the last war that was in Israel. He said, how could it be that they went to do a mitzvah and they died? We're supposed to have this land. And Rav Zvi Hudakuk told him, show me where you have that contract with the Kadosh Baruch Hu, in which he promises you that in Eretz Yisrael you won't lose anybody. That fighting for our land means that you will never have to sacrifice anything or anyone. We lose people. We lose values. We lose all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, decisions had to be made. But don't think for one moment that those decisions were easy. And from the way of our Chachamim, you see, I told you last week, compared to the brothers of Yosef Tzadik. I'm not here to rain on the brothers of Yosef Tzadik. They were Tzadikim also. Whose actions I don't understand, so I don't know what to do with. After they sell their brother, trying to kill him ultimately, they go and break bread together. They eat. You see that the colleagues and the students of Rabbi Eliezer, that was not their attitude. They didn't go celebrate after they got rid of him. They got rid of him, and they suffered miserably from not being close with him. And when he passed away, their true colors shone through. It's those words of Rabban Gamliel when he was on the ship and the wave is trying to drown him. And he says, I know that the wave is trying to drown me because of what I have done to my brother-in-law, Rabbi Eliezer. But you should know, Rabbi Shalom, that everything that I did was not for my honor, was not for the honor of my father or his home, but was for your honor, HaKadosh Baruch Sometimes things are in the Shem Shamayim. Sometimes they hurt. It's perhaps what our rabbis tell us when they say, Kol machloket shi Shem Shamayim. Any war that is for the sake of heaven, it won't, nothing good will come out of it. It won't be established. But any fighting which is for the sake of heaven, it will become established at the end. And this teaching, people always try to say, you're not supposed to fight in Judaism. It's not true. There are fights. And those fights, you can tell the Shem Shamayim and not by the attitude of the people who are engaged in those fights. Hillel and Shammai, as much as they fought, their children and their students married each other. These colleagues and students of Rabbi Eliezer, who are fighting with him, so to speak, the way that they interact, Rabbi Eliezer still calls him Akiva Talmidi, Akiva, my student. The way that they mourn him when he passes, and they don't celebrate, finally the thorn is out of our eye. That tells you the respect, the profound respect that was between them. We must strive when we fight the Shem Shemayim. It's not if, when. There will be fights. You can't help it. Don't live in a fake Judaism that doesn't allow you to fight for things that are important. But you have to make sure. Is it really? How do we really feel? Do we really, at the end of the day, believe in the Shem Shemayim? is told by the actions. Chacham Yosef once wrote in his commentary in Avot. It says there, What's the Machloket Shri Shem Shemayim? That's the Machloket Hillel and Shemayim. And what's the Machloket Shalol Shem Shemayim? What does it say? What does it say? About Machloket Shilol Shem What was the example? Korach Vadato. Korach and his assembly. Why didn't it say Korach and Moshe Rabbeinu? Yeah, but they're still fine. Hila and Shammai, who knows if Hila argued with Shammai? So what? It's still a fight between Korach and Moshe. You know how many fights I didn't initiate, but it's still a fight between me and somebody else? Yeah. Chachamadeh Yosef says something beautiful. I don't remember if he quotes it from someone else. He says, if you look at people that are fighting, look at their camps. If their camps are also infighting among themselves, it's not a machog the Shem Shammai. If there is no united front, they, what does Korach want? Korach wants to overthrow Moshe Rabbeinu. 
Why does he want to overthrow Moshe Rabbeinu? He, he wants to be the leader. Why would anybody else want him to be the leader? I mean, what's their interest in making him the leader? So you fight for yourself. Hire somebody. Ah, what's the reason? Says Chamad Yosef. The reason is that Korach's followers are not there to help him win. They're just there to help Moshe Rabbeinu lose. The moment they can get rid of Moshe Rabbeinu, then they can be the leader. Who cares about Korach? We'll use him till the end, and then we'll get rid of him also. There's a war internally in that camp. So you already know that that camp is not a united front. There, there's nothing there. They're, they're inside, they're already rotten. And to look. Yeah, but exactly like that. You know, I was once in a place, I'm going to turn off the camera for this. So for anyone who is listening on YouTube, we love you very much. Thank you for learning with me.